Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We are continuing on the series of healthy relationships. Pastor Lereko spoke such a powerful word last week on healthy friendships. If you missed it, I'll encourage you to get it on podcast, get it on YouTube. It was such an amazing word, helping us to understand how we can be naked and unashamed with people that we trust and build strong and lasting relationships. Today, my topic is uh, healthy dating and courtship. Healthy dating and courtship. As you notice that... um, we picked to do this very hot topics while we have a heat wave. <laughs> I know that it's going to get hot in here, so I thought, let me just uh, get that out of the way. You know, I've asked some intercessors to pray that it's going to really get hot in here. And uh, the aircon is also uh, blowing. We might have to take it a little bit higher as it gets hotter and hotter in here. Let me just define the terms. I want to start with defining the terms and also create clarity because I know the words dating and courtship uh, can be used interchangeably. And also some people have misunderstood what it means. And I know that we come from a time where even the word dating would not be mentioned in Christian circles. So dating is a process of going out and spending time together to get to know each other better. So the best way to describe dating is having an exclusive relationship or exclusive friendship with someone. And I must state it again, over and over again, exclusive relationship with one person. Not exclusive here, exclusive here, exclusive here. Just for clarity. We don't want that. We don't preach that. When you have friends in a group, by the way, there's no formula to dating and courtship. We draw, script, we draw principles from Scripture. That's what we're going to do this morning. So there's no formula, but I want to emphasize this. In the process of building friendships in a group, you get to a person that you like and you want to build with and you want to get to know better. Once you have that exclusive friendship, you start dating this person. Stick to that one person. Can I hear amen to that? And then courtship is a relationship with an intention to get married. It's clear that you can take your exclusive friendship towards a courtship relationship. Now, courtship is a relationship that is in public where people know that you're going out together with an intention to get married. Is it crystal clear? Let me emphasize this, whether in the dating relationship or courtship relationship, if it doesn't work, it's okay. How you do it is important. Because we don't want people with broken hearts because it was not done accordingly. And let me say it again, please do not use God as a scapegoat. You were in a relationship, and if it's not working out, then you said, I heard the Lord say... Please. And that's where we are going with the sermon today. If you included God from the beginning, stick with God throughout the relationship. Because some people, you know, you don't even start with God. But when it's not working out, I heard the Lord. Let's just correct that once and for all. 
the goal of the sermon today is to what extent is God playing the center of your relationship? Is God at the center of your relationships? So not only dating, courtship, friendships, but also in your marriage, to what extent is God at the center of your relationships? May I also say, if you're a parent, how are you engaging with your children on this topic? Because we need to teach them to keep God at the center of the relationship. Keep God at the center. For some of us, maybe if you didn't start with God at the center, it is not too late to invite God to be at the center. Maybe the best way to describe it before we go to our case study in Genesis uh, 24 today, the best way to describe it is this. Is God a guest or a resident in your heart? Is God a guest or a resident? Is God a resident, meaning that God is there all the time? You're involving God, you're journey with God, you start the journey with God. Or is God only invited when you hit the crisis? Is God only invited when things are tough? I want to encourage you today, please make sure that you make God a resident of your heart. Not only in times of crisis. I, I, I want to explain it to you this way. I, I normally, when I take my kids to school, I take them to school Monday morning and Friday mornings. And when I take them to school, my wife and I, we pray with them in the car. We encourage them just to connect with God outside their devotion. We're praying that it will be a great day. So normally, when I take them to school, we will drive. And when we get to the final traffic light, we start praying. And then my youngest will say, Dad, have you noticed that when we're going to school with mom, we start praying from the garage? <laughs> I repent every week. I still haven't gotten it right. That is just to encourage you that it's never too late to pray and invite God in your relationships. So I am doing my best to pray from when we leave the garage, but I don't always get it right. The key here is, is God at the center of your relationships. Let's open the Word of God in Genesis 24. We're reading Genesis 24 from verse 1, and what we will be doing this morning is what I call exegetical teaching of the Word. The word exegesis is a critical explanation or interpretation of Scripture. So we're going to go verse by verse. We'll try to go as slow, as fast as possible because of time. But this verse of Scripture, this chapter, has got so many verses, we will not be able to go through all of them. I will encourage you to read it at home. I will encourage you because there is so much that we can draw out of this case study that can help us to keep God at the center of our relationships. Amen. So we read here, Now Abraham was old, and well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. God has blessed Abraham in all things. You can go and read uh, Genesis uh, 17, Genesis 18, how God had blessed Abraham. And it says, And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he had. This was a, a chief of staff. He was the chief servant. He was the one who was in charge of everything. Abraham said to him, Put your hand under my thigh, 
that I may make you swear or make an oath by the Lord that the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites where they lived, among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. Now, the context of this is uh, Abraham and the family, they live in Hebron. They've moved away from Haran, the city of Nahor. They've moved away from uh, Haran. They are now living here in the Canaanite city in Hebron. And where they were staying, Abraham is saying, I'm old now. I need to get my son a wife. And by the way, at this stage, Isaac is 40 years old. Those people, man, they used to live very late. Uh, They used to live for many, many years. So he got married, according to me, very late. Here's the context we're reading into this. We're understanding. Abraham says to the servant, put your hand under my thigh. And you ask yourself, what does that mean? So let me explain that so that you don't walk away wondering what just happened there. So in the context we're reading, it was a custom that if you're going to make an oath that is binding, you put your hand under the thigh of the person that you're binding yourself to as a way of saying, I acknowledge and recognize your authority. Therefore, whatever I promise to do, I'll make sure that I do it. Are we together? Are we clear on that? It was the custom then. You don't need to do it now. Please. Let's, now that that's out of the way. Abraham says, you will take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Please, don't take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites because Abraham was afraid that they were going to draw Isaac away from the worship of God, from keeping God at the center. So he said, but go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac there. Then we continue to read. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He, send, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. And only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under his th- and the thigh of Abraham, and the, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. As we read this portion of Scripture, we realize that the servant is saying, I might have a predicament. I might have a predicament while I go all the way to Haran to find a wife for your son. She may not be willing to come. So more of the context here to understand why even uh, Eliezer, whose Bible scholars say his name, the chief of priests, it may have been Eliezer, Why would he say she might not be willing to come? What am I going to do? The the city of uh, uh, Haran all the way to Hebron was about 900 kilometers. So I thought to myself, what is the nearest we can compare to in South Africa? It's basically traveling from Joburg all the way to East London. 
The only difference here is that they were walking. They did not have the nice cars that we have today to drive to East London in a matter of a day. It took 21 days to walk from this place to the other. And then he says, what if the woman may not be willing to follow me? And then Abram says, see to it that you do not take my son back there. There's something very important with it. Abram is simply saying, please do your best not to take my son to that country because God gave me a promise that we need to leave that country and live here. God has called us to be here. For some of you, what this might mean is do not go back to your old ways. Do not go back to the ways of the world. Maybe there was a way that you used to do it before. Now in Christ, it is different. Do it with God. If God is the source of love, if God is love himself, is God at the center of your relationships? Is God at the center? Or do we just do it the world's way? I came across um, this uh, TV show that I didn't know about while doing research for this uh, study. I've had... Uh, one of my kids mentioned it, is that uh, they call it, you shoot your shot. And I'm like, what just happened here? Is that what we are teaching our children today? There's something wrong with that picture. I know that sometimes, you know, in the world, they're trying to use words in order to catch people. But I think you are sending a wrong message. A message is uh, women are a target. Just go for your target. And take out your target. Something is wrong with that picture. We have to do it God's way. And then I love these words here. Abraham said, you know what? The Lord will go before you. He will send his angel to go before you. And you shall take a wife for my son. You shall take a wife from my son from there. God will go before you. The favor of the Lord will go before you. If you do it God's way, the favor of the Lord will be with you. If you don't do it God's way, you're doing it with your own strength. He says the angel of the Lord will go before you. If you think about it metaphorically, is that the favor of God will go before you if you do it God's way. If you involve God right from the beginning. See how much God is involved in this entire process. If the woman is not willing to follow me, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. I thought I should help some people that if a woman says, no, it's okay. The word of the Lord says, you are free. You are free. You don't have to coerce them. You don't have to force them. You are free. Please do not force anyone or coerce anyone into a relationship. And start even manipulating. Some people have manipulated others. They, I said, I've fasted and I've prayed. I've heard from the Lord. You are free. Because it may not be from the Lord that you're meant to be together. So I thought I should draw this principle from this story that some of us, you get so fixated with that one person that if it's not mutual, please do not force yourself to the person. That is my appeal to us this morning. And then the story continues. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land? Which you, which you came, Abraham repeats, see to it that you don't take my son back there. Then the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father. Oh, I read this already. Let's go. Please help me at the back. 
Thank you. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels, or camels, and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Neho. If we pause there for a little bit to understand the context here. So the servant is taking ten camels to go and put the gifts that they're going to use as a way of saying thank you for raising your daughter. We are taking her back to go with us to our home. And I know that this text has been used to explain Lobola for some people. So let me just explain that this was a cultural practice in those days. And uh, there may be some similarities to the way we apply Lobola today. But if we were to go into the history of Lobola, Lobola is meant to be an exchange of gift, not the commercial profit-making scheme that we see today. Lobola is meant to be the exchange of gifts. I mean, we read this text and some people will say, man, they took 10 camels. That's where the 10 cows come from. So, no, 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 we negotiate starting with 10 cows. No, the camels were there to carry the gifts. So don't use this text now to now start uh, working your business and making money out of Lobola. Lobola, the principle behind it is the two families are exchanging gifts as a way of getting to know each other. You know, um, early this year we went uh, to Guiani for Lobola for one of the brothers uh, from Stellenbosch. His name is Freddy, an Africans guy. You may have heard me share the story before. And uh, Freddy, all the way from Stellenbosch, getting married to a Tonga woman, the hottest part of the country in Guiani. I was like, God is a word, God of miracles. God is a God of miracles. Now, I'm sharing this story with you with the way I was blown away by how the Africana family were willing to understand the Lobola practice and culture and the homework we did together with them in order for their son to get married to Risuna. And I was also blown away by uh, Risuna's parents, how they received uh, the parents all the way from Stellenbosch. And I felt in my heart, in my spirit, that God is doing something in our country, South Africa. Let's do our best to embrace what God is doing. Let's do our best to embrace, because it was at the wedding in August that some of the family members who had not planned to come to the wedding, they were there. They were there. God worked on their hearts. And the fun part was uh, when they started exchanging gifts and, uh, you know, the blankets that came all the way from Stellenbosch and the gifts that came all the way from Stellenbosch and also the guys from uh, Rasuna's family giving gifts. It was just a precious moment because Lobola is not meant to be this commercialized profit-making scheme. Lobola is meant to be the exchange of gifts, the families coming to know each other. Amen. So with the scripture that we've read, the Bible continues to say, He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at the time of the evening. And the time when the women go out to draw water. And He said, Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham. Again, see how God is at the center. Please grant me success today. And show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming to draw out water. 
Now, this prayer, some may say uh, that Eliezer was praying for a sign to see a sign of whether God has granted him success by the, water, the daughters coming to the water. I'm going to read some more and then explain this whole sign theology that people have built a theology around. Let the young woman whom I shall say, please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels as well. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love for my master. So what his prayer is, is God, please give me a sign that you've given me success. You've granted me success on my journey, that this is the woman I need to take for my master's son. But I want to com- correct something because some people focus so much on the sign that some guys even will not approach a woman saying, I'm waiting for a sign. I'm waiting for a sign. I'm waiting for a sign. You're waiting for a sign forever. Here, it was not so much about the sign. It was so much to see the character of the woman. It was so much to see the type of person that she is, her kindness, her generosity, and how she shows up for other people. So some people have built around this that, no, 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 you need to have a sign. Yes, there will be signs. You'll be able to see the type of person they are. But the focus is not on the sign. The focus is what type of a person is this. Let me put it in a different way. You can tell how she responded, the type of person she was. Let's read. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The woman, the young woman was very attractive in appearance. Amen. Attraction is very important. You need to be attracted to that person. It's in the Bible. Amen. You need to be attracted. Some people, they become so holy, holy, so spiritual that, you know, you have to be attracted to the person. There must be some level of attraction. I'm correcting a lot of things in a very short space of time. Amen. The maiden whom no man had known, she was a virgin. And we know that not everyone that gets married is a virgin. A number of us, we may have had a certain life before we got married. And we know that God restores. Amen. God restores. Even though in this case, she was a virgin. She went down to the spring and filled her water jar and came up. Then the seven ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. But not only that, I love this. Not only that, drink, my Lord, after she said that, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also. Wow. Wow. Work ethic right there. Character right there. Generosity right there. Kindness right there. You can see that it was not so much about the sign. It was about what type of a woman she was. What is her character? What is she carrying? And I'm going to also clarify something here. Don't go out and say, look, she had a great work ethic. That's the kind of woman I have. And I can just sit at home and watch TV. No. 
the men were in the fields working, the women would go out and draw the water. She drew water for all her camels. And to show that this was an amazing work ethic and a kindness and generosity, one camel drinks 200 liters of water in three minutes. 200. Not 20, 200 liters because camels can go for a week without water. 200. So do the meds. 10 camels, 200 liters of water. This woman worked hard. Very hard. She worked very, very hard. 2,000 liters of water that very afternoon. People are drawn to men and women who know how to speak with grace and have a heart of generosity. We are drawn to people who speak with grace and have a heart of generosity. Is God at the center of your relationships? The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. After seeing this, witnessing how this woman treated him, again, how God plays such a big role in this relationship. Is God a guest or a resident of your heart? We continue to say, then he bowed. Now the story is continuing to help us understand how much he worshiped God throughout this process. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. And now he's telling Laban and uh, Bethuel, Laban was the brother of Rebekah, and now he's also telling Bethuel because he's arriving at the house after the lady has invited him to come to the house. Again, generosity. And then after they listen to him speak, they say, the thing has come from the Lord. This thing that you've just described to us, we can see that it's come from the Lord. Are our relationships from the Lord or they are just our own doing? This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son. So I need to explain that we understand the context here. It was an arranged marriage. So don't go and say, Pastor Sai, say, now I must just go take my, uh, uh, someone for my son. No, 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 no. The context is different. Can I hear amen to that? To know that you've heard me? The context is different. When Abraham 7 had the words, he bowed down himself again, worshiping the Lord. I'm just skipping through some of the verses. And then, uh, and the seven brought out jewelry, silver, gold. Those are the gifts that were on the camels and garments. Gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to the brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank. And they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master, Abraham. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. She sent, send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. There's another very important principle that I mentioned earlier. I want to bring out and draw from the scripture. Let us call the young woman and ask her. Let us call her to hear if she concedes, to hear if she's okay. She's agreeing to this agreement. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. She agreed. She said, I will go. 
So may we not manipulate people into relationships. May we not coerce people into relationships. May we let them pray. May we let them make their own decision to be able to say, I will go. Can I hear amen to that? I love how they bless her as they send her away. Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. I mean, look at this. This is so peculiar. We, we know that the first part of the blessing is the same blessing that God gave Abraham, that, you know, your offspring, your children will be like the stars uh, in, the, in, in the firmament. You will have your offspring like sand on the ocean, meaning that God is going to increase you. God is going to bless you. But the second part, we see Jesus, your offspring will possess the gate of those who hate him. How is that? It's no longer now plural. It says him. They're speaking about Jesus. You can find Jesus on every page of the Bible. You see that there is a blessing when we do things the right way. When we put God in the center of our relationship, there's a blessing that comes with it. If we do it our own way, we're missing out on the blessing that God has for us. Let me take you two chapters back where, where Abraham and Sarai concocted something and had Abraham sleep with Hagar and they had Ishmael because when we do things our own way, we pay the cost for doing things our own way. Ishmael became an issue to Israel and to this day, we are still praying for Ishmael to come back to the house of the Lord. When we do things our own way, we may just attract things that are born out of God, that are not a blessing. Anything that is born outside of God may just be a curse and not a blessing to us. My sister, or our sister, may you become thousands upon thousands. May your offspring, the one that will come from your lineage, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus came from this lineage May he possess the gates of the enemy. May he overcome. May he have victory. And that is our portion. Amen. Just fast forwarding here. Now Isaac returned from Behelaroi. He was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to, med- to meditate. He was a man of the word. Love this. He went to meditate in the field towards the evening. And he lifted his eyes and he saw, behold, there were camels coming. Rebecca was there. Rebecca also lifted her eyes. And when she saw and found out that that was the master, Isaac, took a veil and covered herself as a sign of honor. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You know, the order here is so peculiar. Look at the order here. The order is Isaac is introduced to Rebekah, and then he took Rebekah, and she became his wife and loved her. So to me, what it's saying is that the person that you are worth, that you're married to, please love on the one that you are worth and stop thinking that the grass is greener on this other side. The revelation is the grass is greener where you water it, when you nurture it. That's where the grass will be greener. Love the one that you're worth and stop thinking the grass is greener on the other side. 
putting it in a different way, develop and nurture love for the one you are with. Stop thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. I want to emphasize this because not only in uh, dating, courtship, relationships, but also in our marriages, may we nurture, may we develop, may we love in such a way that we can be able to enjoy that loving relationship that God has given us. Amen. As I begin to wrap up, I want to just show a few things that when it is not done God's way, this is what happens. Dating or exclusive relationship, when it's not done God's way, it can cause discontentment with singleness. So meaning that you're not enjoying the season of being single, that singlehood season is so, so important. You're just moving from one relationship to another because your intention is not to find someone that you'll end up in a lifelong relationship with. It can isolate a couple from other vital relationships. If you go prematurely into an exclusive friendship, you may find yourself being isolated from other important friendships in your life. It tends to skip the friendship stage of a relationship. So while you should spend time getting to know each other in a group with other people, you may prematurely go into an exclusive relationship. It can lead to intimacy without commitment. Each and every one of these things, we can unpack them to help us understand that we want to keep God at the center of our relationships. Often mistakes of physical relationships for love. Some people while dating, you know, the whole concept of friends with benefits, they start doing things they shouldn't be doing because those things are kept for marriage. Can distract young adults from their primary responsibility of preparing for the future. It is important that while you're still single, enjoy the season of being single. Prepare yourself. We spoke about healthy me before you think that a relationship will complete you. Be complete before you get into a relationship. Done God's way, the benefits of dating or having an exclusive friendship, it, it helps build relational skills and how you relate to other people of the opposite sex. Create Opportunity to learn about yourself and others in relationships. It provides a context to work through issues while you are dating, while you're building together. You work through issues as you get to know each other. It's relational and has value in and of itself. Discover more about the other person. It helps you to discover more about the other person. It creates a context in which to learn sexual self-control and the concepts of delayed gratification. So it is very, very important to realize that while you are in this exclusive relationship, you need to learn to keep the boundaries. Learn to keep the boundaries because if you don't learn to keep the boundaries now, how are you going to keep the boundaries in marriage? There's something I want to read for us as we pray. May I ask you to stand With the story that we've just read, the case study of Isaac and Rebecca, and we see how selfless they are. It is very important to realize that love is equal to value. If you love someone, you will value them. We live in such a narcissistic society. People are so narcissistic. 
And before you know it, you are married to a person who's a narcissist. And it ends up as an abusive relationship. So Greg Peake wrote this, which I find very, very key to help us understand when we say love is equal to valuing the person. You cannot gauge, you can gauge how much someone loves you by how much they value you. Let me read that again. You can gauge how much someone loves you by how much they value you. Do they value your uniqueness, your opinion, your feelings, your thoughts, your heart, your dreams, your passions, your favorite song even, your favorite hobby, your favorite ice cream? Side note, mine is Paul's ice cream. I'm sure you've heard me say that before. Do they value your friends? Some relationships, people are moving you away from friends that you've had for so many years that have been part of your community, your life. Do they value your friends? Do they value your family? Even your pets, if you have a pet. If they cannot or will not value you, when they say, I love you, this is what they really mean. I love you the way I want you to be. And if you won't be that way, I will still try and make you that way. I will try to change you to become the way I want you to be. Lord, help us. And as soon as they try to do that, to you, they've stopped valuing you. And that means that they cannot love you. They don't know how to love you because they don't know how to value you. If you say you love someone, you need to value the image of God, the way God created them to be. Love them the way God made them to be. Let's bow our heads to pray. This last part that I've just read, I really feel that there may be some people who are carrying hurts, disappointments. Maybe you've been in a relationship where you were not valued. Or you even carrying a guilt that, that the relationship did not work out because of you, but actually not, you were not valued. I also want to pray for people who have been hurt through dating or courtship. We trust God to bring healing and to give you courage to believe again, to trust again, to hope again for a loving relationship where you will be valued for who you are. In this moment of prayer, if you belong to any of those categories, I just want you to raise just both your hands to the Lord and say, God, I need healing. I need healing. I need you to come and heal me. Maybe you've been disappointed dating, courtship relationship, been disappointed in a marriage relationship, friendship relationship. Just raise both your hands to God and say, God, I need healing. God, I need healing. Thank you. God sees you today. God sees. God sees. God sees your hands. God sees your hands. God sees your heart. 
It may be that you have even said, I don't want to be in a relationship again. I pray that God will bring healing to you today. May God bring healing to you today. Father, I pray for all these people, Lord God, who come in before you and say, I need healing. Lord, you see their hands. You see their hearts. You know what they've been through. I pray, Lord God, that you will bring healing, Lord God. I speak healing in the name of Jesus. I speak healing in the name of Jesus. We declare healing in the name of Jesus. We declare healing in the name of Jesus. We pray as they live today, they will live lighter, Father God. Because God, that burden, that guilt they've been carried, Father, is taken away in the name of Jesus. And Father, those who may be in relationships that are dysfunctional or where they are not feeling valued, I pray that as they make you the center of those relationships, things will change for the better, Lord God. May things change for the better, Lord God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's give God all the glory and the praise. Amen.